to spend uh, the month of August going through 1 John. Uh, we're going to go through the first chapter today, and then uh, we're going to take a chapter uh, each Sunday, and uh, we'll be doing that. Uh, Pastor Victor will be leading the Spanish ministry in that same endeavor as we go through. And so uh, you're going to hear, and just in the first First John, you're going to hear about the incarnate word. You're going to hear about our advocate, Jesus. You're going to hear about eternal life. You're going to hear how we are to love one another and how God loves us. And you'll hear about testing and you'll hear about overcoming the word, the world, all in one book. And so we're excited about about doing this. And so uh, let me give you just a little bit brief introduction uh, about John. Uh, we all know that John was the beloved disciple. Um, I, I struggle with that uh, because uh, I thought and I know Jesus loved all his disciples. But John was the special one that is in his word says that he's the beloved disciple. But John never comes out in his writings and said, I am something special. But he knew that he had a special time with Jesus while he was here on this earth. And I think that's where he takes a lot of uh, marvel in that what went on. And you see, John's gospel was written later than the other gospels. And uh, because of this, the news about Jesus was no longer new. Uh, John's gospel... Uh, was there while the believers were being severely persecuted in their belief, for their beliefs of following Jesus and believing Jesus was the Messiah. So first John reaches out to believers and to persecutors alike. He is seeking to reach those that question their beliefs uh, and those that also deny that Jesus was the Messiah. John's purpose was more than theology. It was, uh, or it was more about theology and evangelism than it was as the other Gospels were about recording some historical events. First John was written around the same time uh, that the Gospel of John was written. This would have probably been around 85 or 90 A.D. Uh, it was written, uh, again, to dispel those doubts about and to build assurance about presenting a clear picture of who Jesus Christ was. As an elder of the church, John wrote this untitled letter, probably from Ephesus, to no particular church. Uh, It was sent as a pastoral letter to several Gentile congregations, but as I said before, it was for believers everywhere. It tells the perfect happiness cannot happen if we're separated from God. God holds heavenly fellowship with each of us, but only if we believe in him. He doesn't hold fellowship with unholy souls. First John, as does the Gospel of John, emphasizes from the beginning that there is a sovereign God and that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God in flesh. John saw, heard, and touched Jesus. And John John had enjoyed the fellowship with the Father and the Son during his time on earth. And he opens the letters by giving those credentials that he had. That this is not a once upon a time story. This is one from someone who witnessed and and, uh, witnessed Jesus walking on this earth. 
and one that knew him intimately. You see, this was a time during false teachings that denied the incarnation of Christ. And John's letter, again, is to correct those errors. John gives us a model for us to follow to combat the modern challenges. And you're going to see so much that's in his, this first John that we are living today, folks. We are repeating some of the same mistakes that were done then. So, again, John is talking about reality of who God is and how he lives through Jesus Christ in our hearts. John may have actually been a teenager. He was a young disciple. And he was one of the original 12, and he was involved, and he was in the inner circle with Jesus, with Peter and his brother, uh, with uh, John's brother, James. And Jerusalem at this time had been destroyed. I mean, uh, the temple had been destroyed. Um, this was a generation where, as I said before, they were being persecuted uh, tremendously. The main problem facing the church was a declining commitment. Many were conforming to the world standards and failing to stand up for Christ. They were compromising their faith. And they were accelerating the church's downward spiral. And that seems so apparent today. And that we compromise so much today and we tolerate so much today that we know in his words is not the truth. So John writes about getting believers back on track and to show the difference between light and darkness, truth and error, and to encourage the church to grow in genuine love with God and with love for one another. He also wanted to assure all believers that they possess the opportunity for eternal life and to help them to understand that their faith was genuine and enjoy the benefits of being a child of God. And that's where we need to get back to today. So this is going to be an easy day for your Bible. If you'll just open it up and turn to 1 John, we're going to be in the first chapter. I'm going to go from beginning in the first verse, and I'm going to read all 10 verses this morning. They're not very long. And then we're just going to break them down a little bit. So 1 John, first chapter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with, with the Father and with the Son, his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we proclaim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not with us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, 
and his word has no place in our lives. You see, John opens this letter as he opened his gospel, emphasizing that Christ from the beginning is eternal. Jesus brings life and light to the world. And John is an eyewitness. Therefore, he's telling us that he is qualified to speak about the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Remember, many readers at this time didn't get to see or hear Jesus for themselves. And like us, we need to trust the truth that is written in God's word as to who Jesus is. He is who the word says he is. John wants you to know that this is not hearsay evidence. This word of life was physically present to John and to others. And the idea of logos, or the word, was important to John and others. For the For a Jew, God was often referred to as the word because they knew God perfectly revealed himself in his word. So John is saying to everyone, the word that you have spoken about, the word that you have written about, I have seen, I have heard, and I have touched. So let me tell you about him. Again, this is not a once upon a time story. He says that eternal life, which was with the Father, refers to Jesus as eternal life. He also refers to the eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. This is an eternal relationship of love that is fellowship. John writes in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, the 24th verse, For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Just think about that for a moment. He loved us all. He loved us all before we even knew who we were. So if you'll skip down to verses 3 and 4, we hear about having fellowship with other believers. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that we may also have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. When taken in the context of God's desire to have a relationship with his children, fellowship is one of the most richest words in the Bible. We can have the same love relationship with God because of Jesus. But just as important, we can have that same love relationship with one another because of Jesus. Now, we'll tell you a once upon a time story. And stay with me as I go through this. There was a group of people who agreed that they would spend each Sunday in the presence of one another. Many weren't satisfied with a few hours each Sunday that they got together. So they got together for an additional few hours on Saturday for more fellowship. They had great convictions as they came together for purpose and would not leave until they accomplished that purpose, even if it took all day. At the end of the day, they would cheerfully pledge to return next week. Their commitment was a marvel, as weather never deterred them. They met in the winter and the summer. The spring rains and the fall chill never affected their commitment. Their sacrifices often involved more than just their time. They gave their money, for their hearts were so very involved in this weekly gathering. Sometimes they gathered, they would disagree, 
as humans do. Sometimes they spoke a little harsh to one another, yet they were returned each week. For the purpose of assembling was far greater than their personal likes or dislikes. Their persistence knew no bounds. They came from long distances. Their numbers were often so large that they had to park on the streets and walk to where they were going. Their faithfulness was something to inspire others to be so dedicated. So I salute this group of people that go to flea markets every weekend. They go to antique shows every weekend. They go to swap meets every weekend. You see, some of you are probably thinking, oh, he's talking about an awesome church. I really want to know where that is. And it would seem logical because what was described is the same dedication the true church should have. We should have that fellowship with one another. Fellowship with Jesus leads to a life lived in the fullness of joy. You know, there's some insurance studies that says that if you attend church regularly, you will live an additional 5.7 years. I don't know where they figured that, and I don't know why the .7 is on there. But fellowship makes a church a true church. Charles Spurgeon wrote, When fellowship is sweetest, your desire is the strongest, that others may have fellowship with you. And when your fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, you earnestly wish that the whole Christian brotherhood may share the blessing with you. You see, John never ceased marveling at the life-changing relationship he enjoyed with his Lord. The fact that the God that created the universe chose to have fellowship with him just was hard for him to fathom. You see, there was a special fellowship or a bond developed between those that had personally encountered or experienced Christ. And if you've personally experienced Jesus, you know exactly the bond that I'm referring to. Those around you need encouragement, which you may be able to give when you fellowship with one another, as you share your latest encounter with Christ. You see, those that need encouragement don't need philosophies. They don't need theology speculations, and they certainly don't need opinions. They need to hear the truth from someone that has had a life-changing experience with Jesus. Your responsibility will not be to convince them of the reality of God, but to bear witness to what your Lord has done for you. The change that is in you is the greatest testimony you have of Jesus Christ. There are three basic principles, and these are not all, but three I want to touch on about Christian fellowship. First, our fellowship has to be grounded in the testimony of God's word. We must have that underlying strength to be able to have the togetherness. Second, it's a mutual and dependent upon the unity of believers. We must be united. That doesn't mean we agree on everything, but we stand for one thing. And that is the truth of the Lord. Third, there's a renewed, this togetherness is renewed daily by the Holy Spirit. So true fellowship combines social and spiritual interaction found in the living relationship we have with Christ. This is very, very important. 
Your relationship with others reflects the foundational relationship you have with Jesus. Your relationship with others reflects the foundational relationship you have with Jesus. Skip down to verses 5 and 6. The light represents what is good, pure, holy, and reliable. Darkness represents sinful and evil. John writes this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not live by the truth. The statement, God is light, means God is perfectly holy and true. And he alone can guide us through any sin that may be in our life. Light also relates to the truth. That in light... It exposes whatever exists, whether it's good or bad. In dark, so often you can't distinguish between what is good and what is evil. In darkness, you can't really distinguish what is even in front of you. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light, nor can sin exist in the presence of a holy God. We claim to have brought him into our lives, yet we live our lives to the standards of the world. God will expose hypocrisy. John also confronts the first of three claims of false teachers that we can have fellowship with God and still walk in darkness. There was a popular approach at the time that you could gratify every physical lust because your body was going to be destroyed anyway. Then there were those who said and still say They're not worried about how they live their life because God is going to forgive them for the way they are living. John is clear. You cannot claim to be a believer and live an evil, immoral life. We cannot truly love God and court sin at the same time. Fellowship with God is dependent upon the reception of and the obedience to the divine message. The messenger delivered here is that God is light. If you wish to fellowship with God, you must live in God's light. This is not a discovery to make about God. It's a divine revelation for us, from him, that light represents what is good, true, and holy. Darkness represents what is evil, what is false, and what is sinful. Verse 7 gives us an incredible promise to those who live in God's life. But if we walk in the life as light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, any, with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies from all, us from all sin. We can not only walk with him who is light, but now we can fellowship with one another, and the blood of Je- Jesus cleanses all sin. You throw in verse 8 here. So verse 7 and 8 read, But if I walk in the light and he, as he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of, the son, of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So you probably noted in verse 7 that it says all sin. There is no limit to the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Offering us a chance to be more like Jesus, who is not in darkness. Real cleansing 
of sin comes from Jesus, the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. When we commit our life to Jesus and thus identify ourselves with him, his death becomes our death. Just as Jesus rose from the grave, we rise to new life in fellowship with him. Romans 6, 4 reads, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just like Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of our Father, we too may have a new life. Walking in truth does not, in fact, cannot, we cannot claim fellowship with God while we walk in darkness. The truth is evident if we walk with God, the light, that we're not walking in darkness. The truth is God has a well-lit path for us if we simply follow his commandments, follow his word. The word walk is not a particular deed. The word walk is a continual action. Walking means we are moving. We're not sitting. Notice we walk in the light, but God is the light. He who has absolute perfection knows no change. So we progress from grace to grace, becoming children of the light and believing he is the light. At the time this book was written, there were those who believed that they did not need to confess or repent of their sins. They did not think they needed Jesus. They encouraged sinning and denied that sinning even broke the fellowship with God. Even to the point that they were denying that any conduct they had was a sin. It is difficult, it is prideful, for many to admit their faults and shortcomings, even to God. Nobody likes being corrected. That's your pride. It takes humility and honesty to encourage, to recognize your weakness. So often we pretend to be strong, that we do not need anyone, when in reality we need God. And then verses 9 and 10 tells us how to confess and how, can we, how we can enjoy fellowship with Christ. It reads, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. This passage itself should lighten our cares. Yet for some, we feel so guilty about the sin, we are ashamed to seek forgiveness. Know that our God truly wants to forgive us. He wants us to earnestly repent. You see, he allowed his son to be sacrificed so that we could be forgiven of our sins. There's an elderly Christian who used to carry a small tablet with him and He often took it out and showed others. He called it his biography. It only had three pages. Didn't have a word written on any of those three pages. The first page was all black. He said, this is my sin, my condition by my nature. The second page was all red, representing the blood of Jesus Christ shed for his sin. And the third page was all white. He said, this page stands for me, washed by the blood and made as white as snow. You see, we all have a biography. And I venture to say we have 
a first page or at least a, a page that is black. And as believers, we can add that second page that is red as we claim that Jesus is our Savior. And then we certainly are offered the opportunity to have that white page. But so often in life, I think life leads us to have a black page and then a red page and then a black page and a red page and then a gray page and a red page and a pink page. And we strive each day to have that white page. But we have that opportunity. See, you do not need to fear that God will reject your repentance. True repentance involves a commitment not to continue to sin. We should confess so we might enjoy the maximum fellowship and joy with God. We should pray for strength to defeat the temptation the next time we face it. You see, when we truly repent, we are agreeing with God that our sin is in fact sin and we are willing to turn from it. We are ensuring that we are not only, we are not trying to hide it from our God because we can't, but most importantly, we're not trying to hide it from ourselves. In repentance, we recognize that we have and we do sin but we're relying on his power to overcome it. John Wesley was walking away from a service one night when he was robbed. However, the robber found that his victim had very little money and a few religious pamphlets on his person. The robber left with the little amount of money that Wesley had. As he was leaving, Wesley shouted at him. He shouted, stop, I have something for you. And the robber stopped, probably thinking, is this guy going to give me some more money? Instead, John Wesley told him that one day he may regret this sort of life. And if you do, there's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The robber then ran away. And Wesley prayed that his words would one day bring fruit. Years later, Wesley was greeting visitors after service when a stranger approached him, and Wesley was pleased to hear that this successful businessman was also a believer of Christ. And the man looked at him and said, I owe this all to you because I am the one that robbed you. Wesley quickly responded, you owe me nothing. It's the precious blood of Jesus that cleansed your sin. You see, but Wesley did have something to do with it. He obediently shared the good news of salvation. We have the same responsibility as believers in Jesus to share with others that cross our paths. That's why fellowship is so important. And forgiveness is so important. Isaiah 59, beginning in the first first verse. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made you, made you separated between you and separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he does not hear you. So do you claim to walk in the light and commit sin? 
Are there things in your life that objects to God and do you seek to be independent from him? You see, some people believe that they can just be better than somebody else. That's all God requires. And that's not the truth. So you need to evaluate your life with the word of God. Not by how somebody else is living their life. Not by things of this world, but by the word of God. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Often we enter into a room and we turn the light switch on so we can see. But how often in our life do we want to hide from something and so we turn the light switch off and we're in darkness Melanie shared something with me this week that I thought, wow, I never really considered that. She said, did you know that the enemy didn't show Eve all the things that God had given her? Instead, the enemy had her focus on the one thing God kept from her. Times may have changed but the effect of God's presence in our lives has not. So as we prepare to take Holy Communion, believe he is the light of the world. Don't seek opinions. Seek the truth. Don't live in a haze. Live in light. Don't try to figure out if something feels good or feels right. Seek God's word and know it's right.